everyone. Welcome to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan, a podcast on anything and everything adoption related. And we're both in the same place. Yay! <laughs> we're both back in Ryan's apartment in Melbourne. Back to our humble beginnings. Yeah. With our, um, our Tyrrell's chips and our drinks. <laughs> Giving away all the uh, industry secrets. Yeah. Yeah, so I just got, I just flew in this morning and I'm, yeah, so I'm tired. I had like a nine hour stopover in Manila, which is like disgusting, right? That, like that length of time, not, not the place. Yeah. Right? Oh, I didn't know it was a nine hour stopover. Yeah. I felt like I've stopped over in like every imaginable place between Australia and Korea over the years because, yeah, I always take, take a cheap flight and... Were, were there things to do in the airport? Um, no, there's Was nothing like to closed? do. But I left the airport. Oh. I went to, I went to like a mall, mall, casino kind of place. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, Lost all your money? <laughs> I watched the new Star Wars. Because oh, it was an early that? release. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Oh, that's a good use of time. And I know this is, like, really disgusting and random, but, like, I was so tired, right, that I'm, like, <laughs> eating popcorn in the cinema. And then, like, I was wearing a, a hoodie. And then later I'm, like, walking around the mall, like, <laughs> half, <laughs> half asleep. And I realized, <laughs> this is disgusting, I realized that, like, I'd caught, I had bits of, like cheese popcorn like caught in the collar of my hoodie <laughs> from the movie and I'm like oh I've been walking around with all this like <laughs> cheese popcorn in my collar I was just gross and tired and like yeah I think like that that's a pretty good indication yeah that's I don't know why I shared that but <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you're back in Melbourne for all the end of year shit. Yeah, for Christmas with my family. Yeah, because also I find Christmas in Korea because it's not really a holiday. Like I mean, so it's it's like a day off work, but it's not really um it's not really celebrated. So I find that a bit depressing. I find myself almost like missing the whole like um, <laughs> over commercialization of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and I kept asking, like, the Korean kids that I teach English to, I'm like, oh, so at Christmas, what do you usually do? Or, like, what are you going to do on Christmas Day? And they're just like, mm, nothing. Like, play or sleep. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah, so it's not really a thing, and it's so, nice to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about holidays. Yes. Self-care and burnout. Yes, and we're, we are not experts on... I feel like we should say this at the start of yeah. all of our episodes. Ah, yeah. We're not experts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think especially for this for this topic, I mean, obviously not holiday. Holiday expertise aside, we are not experts on self-care and burnout. That's the more, <laughs> the more important thing to say that we're not experts on. But we thought it'd be a really useful topic to explore, obviously the time of year being what it is yeah so hannah do you want to <laughs> you just gave me this look of terror um do you want to yeah i guess talk a bit about 
I don't know what the holidays generally bring up for you. Or, mm. um, so you just said that when you're in Korea, you miss. Yeah, I feel like for me personally, being in Korea around Christmas is like lonely and a bit depressing and it's like cold and I should, yeah. I should just remind our listeners that we're from Australia. So the fact that Christmas is cold is not normal. Yes, Christmas is like, it's, you know, um, high 30s Celsius or like even like low 40s and we're simultaneously like cranking the aircon as we crank up the oven for like our traditional British roast dinner, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, but I feel like yeah, in Korea it's like, yeah, it's winter and so you have this kind of confluence is that the right word of like of depressing lack of Christmassy stuff <laughs> and like seasonal affective disorder or something like that <laughs> really yeah well, okay and what about the holidays I guess more generally you know the main thing that um that I find stressful is um this, yeah, this general expectation to be, to feel, like, happy and excited and festive and, and also I feel sometimes this pressure from my, in my adoptive family, particularly from my mum, for us to be, like, some kind of hallmark perfect happy family around the holidays or, like, like on Christmas Day from, like, from the moment we open our eyes to the moment we like go to sleep we're supposed to be like happy it's christmas and it feels it's like from our first to last breath yes it feels like a straitjacket right um actually mother's day is worse that's that really feels like walking on eggshells sometimes to, mm. to be completely honest but yeah so that's the main issue that i have with the holidays yeah and so i feel like because of that pressure by by the end, by um, Christmas Day evening, right? Um, it's almost like a relief, like the sigh of relief if we haven't had any kind of conflict or... Yeah. Do you feel that? Um, I probably... I, I guess, like, you're making me think that, like, different holidays bring up different sorts of anxieties. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, you're right. Like, Christmas is very much the quintessential family getting together. Mm. Um, out of all of them, I guess, the most family-oriented, I suppose. Or Yeah. Um, I will have to say, like, as I've gotten older, though, I generally find New Year to be more stressful because I feel like there's more pressure on it. But that's probably not... That's not pressure from family. That's just pressure... I feel like on a more individual level. Is like that is that FOMO? <laughs> no, that's like that's not like fear of missing out. It's like fear of like losing time or like fear of like not accomplishing enough. Oh. Like, you know, I feel like it's it's that chance to really it just like amplifies I don't know, the fears that I have on a more <laughs> weekly basis of like Am I doing enough? Like, how do uh, I have enough to show for myself? And, and like, I recognize that that's problematic and I shouldn't be so, like, productivity-focused and that that comes from somewhere and whatever. But I feel like, in a way, New Year has more pressure. Do, do you feel like, the same thing on your, around your birthday? As, I think, as I've gotten older, yeah, I guess. 
I guess. Mm. Do you... So generally you don't struggle so much with Christmas? Um, look, not, not so much like in recent memory. I think because generally they have gone pretty smoothly. Mm. Like, I, I think I'm not so worried about the family dynamics yeah. as I might have been in the past. Yeah. 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 So it's become much more manageable and less stressful. Yeah. Um, and what about birthdays? Because you know how... I've heard from, like, a lot of adoptive friends that, you know, sometimes they struggle around birthdays. Like, they just, like, maybe feel kind of melancholy and can't even... Like, can't necessarily necessarily articulate why. And do you get any of that around your birthday? Not in the past because I've not been sure if that's my real birthday. Mm. Um, Now I know it is my real birthday, so... (laughs) You can ask me in May next year yeah. <laughs> how shit I'm feeling. <laughs> but, um, look, to be honest, I think, like, a lot of the way that I function is by just, like, not looking, not not allowing myself to really go there. And then it might, like, manifest later. Like, I think I'm very good at repressing stuff. Or feeling uncomfortable, but not really feeling, like, sad. And then only later realizing that actually maybe I was struggling. Um, yeah, yeah, we're all good at that, <laughs> right? Um, do Do you think that that's generally what happens though when you repress something? It, it kind of it hits you later. I I guess so. Mm. I don't know. Like I'd like I'd like to think that it does hit you later, so that you have a chance to identify it and maybe come to terms with it, but. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, maybe this is a good time to mention that um, I think this is not the way we plan to talk about these things. But anyway, um, so I feel like in the last few weeks, like actually maybe partly because of the workshop we did with Hilbrandt in, in Korea, which was amazing. And then the interview with Hilbrandt and then um, I went to visit uh, an adoptee in prison in Korea with um, or, like a visit kind of organized with Adoptees for Justice, um, this grassroots organization in Seoul. And I feel like all of that, the heaviness of some of the issues that we were looking at um, and, and visiting the adoptee in prison and everything, I feel like all of that like caught up with me actually. And it's like maybe... Yeah, I thought I was fine and I kind of, like, getting through all these things. But then, yeah, so I feel like that totally happens where, like, maybe um, I just soldier through certain things. Mm. Yeah. And and I think I'm fine. But then, like, actually, I feel like later I will feel, like, really um, just exhausted and heavy and kind of, like, low mood. And, yeah, and that's Mm. when I know that maybe... um, I've just gone through something. Yeah, and I, and I haven't maybe, like, taken care of myself as, as I needed to. Yeah. So what happens? Like, so you just reach a point and you feel really fatigued? Yeah, and I think that's what, um, I guess that's what burnout is, right? And I think it's partly because um, I think sometimes when, like, being within the adoptee community and being really involved in the community um, and sometimes, like, you know, hearing other people's stories 
and struggles and, you know, witnessing that. I think sometimes we experience something which is what social work workers call um, vicarious trauma. Yeah, where, where things like resonate with us and or, yeah, you know, like things like, so obviously things like things like suicide and things like incarceration are really heavy. And then it's like we can we can identify times ourselves where we've felt maybe like a, a similar like a similar level of isolation and loneliness and despair. And I think that catches up with you, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what happened. <laughs> so I'm like happy to like be here and kind of take a break from Yeah. From the community that's the same community um which I so dearly love. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get to self-care, which is clearly where this conversation's mm. going, um how do you understand what burnout is? And I realize we might be using that term in not in the exact same way that maybe social work uh, literature does. Oh yeah. Um, again, we're not, we're not experts. <laughs> I'm like, oh um, shit, we should have looked it up. <laughs> but if we run with that word, yeah, I guess like. I think you know at first, like I thought, I, I realized, I noticed that I was feeling like down and kind of antisocial and exhausted and I was like oh maybe I'm just going through like a little period of like depression which is not completely unfamiliar but I was like okay like this like I know this this it will it will pass like Mm -hmm. other things like everything does um but then I was actually I was talking to my sister and um she mentioned this concept of vicarious trauma and I realized that like actually I'd been exposed to some, um, like, like heavy stuff and, yeah, emotionally draining stuff over the past few weeks. Um, and so it just really made sense to me that it's, it's related to, um, this period of, like, kind of prolonged, um, in this case, emotional stress, perhaps? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's, like, um, exhaustion or, um, in my case, it feels like kind of like mild depression mm-hmm. and i think it's it, it's it's something that like builds over a period of time mm-hmm. does that make sense <laughs> that's how yeah, i understand yeah. it yeah yeah i guess so right so like an accumulated stress and so then it gets to a point where your your body's like i'm really tired and I just need time out. Mm. When I know that, like, it's, like, a real effort to, like, do social things, because right. I feel like generally I'm, like, I don't know, moderately social person, but when it just feels like like I have no motivation to... Even when it's, like, nice, chill social stuff, like, I'm just... Right, you so know? things that usually would not be an effort. Yeah. Feel like an effort, right? Yeah, and also, I guess, when... Um, yeah, just this, like, lack of motivation. Just, like, I just want to completely unplug from everything and just... Yeah. Yeah. There's a quote from Anne Lamott, the writer, which gets um, thrown around a lot on the internet. Because it's a good quote. Anyway, and it's something like, um, pretty much everything will work again if you, like, just unplug it and then replug it for a while, <laughs> including yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
cannot remember who said this, and if I find it, I will. We will put it on our thing. Um, and it's not a direct quote or anything, but someone once I read somewhere, heard somewhere that obviously burnout can manifest as, or we can recognize burnout because we feel depression or mm. mild depression, like you just um, you just spoke of. And depression might be something we're more aware of because we have understandings of what that is and what that feels like. Yes. Um, burnout can also appear as anxiety. Ah. Um, yeah. And I thought what was interesting about what this person was saying especially is that burnout can result in not only withdrawal, which yeah. is what you're mentioning, mm. but also like, like excessive participation. Mm. Like it's not simply, oh, I need to remove myself, but it becomes almost this like, I need to do more, which is probably less recognizable as burnout. Well, I don't know. So I yeah. thought that was, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's... Actually, I think um, I think when I notice that um, I'm feeling anxious and my mind like won't turn off, and like especially I'm like I'm having trouble sleeping or I don't know, yeah, yeah, I'm waking up in the middle of the night and with like racing thoughts or something. I think I've also experienced that lately, so I think that's also yeah um, how like this prolonged like overactivity or you know overextending yourself. Maybe that's that is also um, something I've experienced. <laughs> but yeah, throwing yourself into things, I guess. Can you relate to that? The anxiety and then over participation. What this person said stood out to me because I would never have seen that as a sign of burnout because mm. that's probably not how I operate. I think I'm definitely much more. It much more manifests in me as withdrawal, mm. as like, um, yeah, like fatigue or lack of motivation, feeling like just like simply too tired to even want to face having to do something social which otherwise would be like like cost no energy to me whatsoever. Yeah. So I like see it as like energy depletion. Um, I guess I've never really th- used the term burnout. I think because it is maybe more, like I said, in the social work field or that industry. Yeah. But I can like see how there are versions of that working in like the academic industry where like sometimes I just get so tired or feel so depleted and that also takes its toll on like my insecurities about what I'm even doing here and like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I think the other important thing with burnout, especially I guess if I use the term burnout for academia Mm. is also that it implies that there is a failure of support and it, that for me is the institution. I don't know what that looks like though for you know community stuff where there isn't yeah. really a central organization to say well you should support me better because there's no one to say that to um, but I guess for me it's like yeah we got to manage our energy for better, for lack of a better term, but yeah. then also like we should also be able to ask for support from other people or institutions. I guess the problem is if there is no institution, then yeah, where do you look to? Which I guess would be my concern for what you're describing. Yeah, I think actually other adoptive friends um, in Seoul have mentioned that um, yeah that there is no community support like that that um 
that we we need spaces maybe to like generally de debrief about um about even sometimes just like perhaps like living in Korea and like the challenges and triggers involved in that yeah. do you find that um as a researcher researching adoption related stuff that also makes you more prone to some kind of academic burnout i don't know if i've experienced it specifically with with the adoption research yet <laughs> but isn't it like, like sometimes you read something and you'd be like oh that kind of that hits close to home so oh yeah definitely um I guess I try to take those moments as signs that that something's speaking to me that um, I should pay attention to in terms of like pursuing like oh well why I guess there's always the personal stuff like oh why did that resonate with me but also like maybe this is important I should think more about it or something um, I think that this is kind of an aside but I think that like doing research on adoption as an adoptee needs to be accompanied with some sort of like counseling <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just to make sure that you're not only approaching it as a researcher but also keeping your who you are you know part of your research as well um i think i've experienced it more just in the sort of constant demands that academia places on you especially like as a junior researcher with no with no permanent job like you're you're doing job applications while teaching yeah, while trying to yeah. write things trying to do research trying to apply for grants blah, blah 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 so it's just like it just feels like you're being pulled in all these directions and you're doing work and you don't even know if you'll get a job at the end of it or yeah. you know whatever yeah. so i think it's probably more that sort of stuff it's more the like mechanics and like the the pressures of academia more generally i think like so far the adoption research has been like incredibly rewarding just because it's something that I care a lot about and I get to read about it and it is difficult a lot of the time but also it feels really important um, in a much in a weirdly like more tangible way I think than my other research which, which is much more philosophical mm. so and because I have both I have like the adoption research and the um, philosophies of nature stuff it's like weirdly a bit more balanced or something i'm not only doing adoption yeah so yeah. i guess i i i take myself out of that space too and i get that reprieve I yes yeah. so when i was thinking about what we would talk about today for this episode yeah um i was reminded of something someone recently said to me which I'm paraphrasing, which is basically like, you are more than one thing, right? So you are more than just an adoptee. Yeah. Like, or you are you belong to more than one community. Um, um, and this is related because... <laughs> my brain, because of what I just said about doing adoption research, but also doing something else, right? Yeah. That they're, they're, you are... You're not completely in one box. Yeah. And that, I think, for me, the challenge is, I, you know, I'm not just... A researcher I don't have to just completely be caught up in the stresses of academia like yeah. I have to remember that I am other than that and like I have other things in my life that fulfill me yeah and the drive to productivity isn't the only thing that's important mm -hmm. um, mm. and I feel like that's part of this larger conversation of self-care that you know we're trying to have today 
Yeah, so that you're basically you're not defined by your your paid work. Yeah. Yeah. Or even I suppose like thinking for you like being in Korea, being part of this this amazing community. Um, that's one part of your identity, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Actually, I feel like I had like a a therapist that tried to remind me of that when um, like this is years ago when I was when I was like disappointed at my like lack of progress in my classical singing career and she's like oh you're not just a singer you have these like other you know you've got these eggs in other baskets I don't know <laughs> and I feel like it didn't help me then I was like yeah but but this is the egg that this matters is what I wanted to do and it's not working and anyway but I guess, <laughs> I guess in like a, okay I guess like if we're trying to have a conversation about self-care, which I, we can talk about what that means. Yeah. But I view it as what gets us by day to day. So yeah. like in that way, yeah, that might've been the biggest, shiniest egg, but you know, that isn't everything, right? Like that, um, and that doesn't mean that those other things are going to take the place of the big egg, but yeah. Yeah. I try, I mean, sometimes I have these moments where I try to remind myself that, like, uh, even if, um, if I don't have this kind of, like, career, which I always, which I, like, feel like I should have by this stage or something, um, which is actually, which is a big source of, like, shame for me, if I'm being really real. Um, I try to remind myself that, like, other than that, you know, I want to be a certain kind of person. I want to be a certain kind of friend and sister and daughter, etc. Um, so I try to return to that, mm. which I feel like is is broader than just yeah. Like, what do I have to professionally sh- show for myself? Yeah, it is really hard though. <laughs> like this, you know. Obviously, I just told you about my yeah. my, <laughs> my New Year's. My, like, stress around New Year's, which is oh, yeah. exactly, like, mm. what do I have? What have I produced, right? Which yeah. is not not a healthy way of thinking about self-worth. But it's very easy to... I feel like the problem with it is just that it's never-ending, right? Yeah. You know, and, and you're only as good as, like, your last paper or, like, your last concert, like your last performance as as a musician or like your last article as a writer and it's just like so I think that's the problem it's it's never ending and like the stakes like the bar just keeps getting lifted and mm. um yeah you know it's like it feels like a a rat race and it's just not I think it's not a stable way I mean especially if you, if you're working in some kind of field which is inherently unstable like the arts or like academia mm where it's like this constant like hustle for um grants or projects and things right um yeah that's like that's putting your (laughs) your self-worth and like your daily mood in like into an incredibly unstable basket right yeah it's hard though i mean i know that but um but i I still fall into that kind of thinking like regularly yeah i do too So what is self-care for you? Yeah, actually, I thought your... So your definition, just to um, reiterate that, was that it's what... 
<laughs> I can't talk. My excuse is going to be like, I'm really tired. <laughs> um, I don't know if it was a real definition. I think it's good to try and define it, though, because it's like a real buzzword now, right? And sometimes I feel like I, I lose track of what it actually is. Because it's pro- you know it's not just like massages and like I don't know like they're nice <laughs> chocolate cake. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the thing, right? It's kind of individual. I think so. When like people used to tell me this like years ago, like self care, like look after yourself. I'm like, oh yeah, 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 great. <laughs> because like who would say no to that? But like I don't know what that means. Like I don't know what that looks like. And I think people, like someone once told me, like, do something nice for yourself. Go light some candles and take a bath. Right. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. And I was just like nodding, like, that's kind that you are being kind to me, whatever. But I was like, that to me does not sound like that great. Like, I'm sure lots of people love that. But like... Do you like baths? I feel like they're really nice for about... Five to seven minutes max. Is that because the water gets cold? Or? Yeah, just I, just I feel like it gets old. Like It's like amazing for like the first... And then it just gets old really fast. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this whole like image of, yeah, like relaxing in this bathtub for, for hours or something. I don't know, like reading and <laughs> shipping, sipping champagne or... I, I can't talk. Anyway. Um, and... Yeah, and it's in reality for me, it's like five to seven minutes max. <laughs> a lot of water for like very yeah, short amount of time. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I guess like, I guess like we got to figure out what self-care is for us. Yes. And I, I think it's different for everyone. Yeah. yeah, I have to say baths aren't my jam either. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's, it's, it's very easy to say you should practice self-care. I think... Do people teach us what that is? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like baths and massages and, like, cake or whatever, like, fall into, like, the broad category of treats. Like, as... (laughs) (laughs) Bear with me. Like, this this idea is going somewhere, hopefully. Um, So... Of treats to like as um, a temporary uh, escape um, to kind of to like maybe like dial down the anxiety and like just relax for a while. Yeah. Which but, is important. Which is important. And then I think there's another category of like more daily ongoing um, self care or like. I mean, I can't have those three things every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the same time especially like (laughs) massages like they're really nice but I hardly ever like go pay for a massage you know it's like they're expensive anyway (laughs) so I think the other category of like more just like daily self care is what um so you know Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote Eat Pray Love and and other things um I feel like her um social media account is like um a great source of wisdom for me <laughs> and she has this concept of like attending to the animal that is Liz Gilbert so 
Just things like basic things like food and exercise and sleep. And she's like, that's like um, an ongoing daily job to make sure that she is looking after herself physically, which which then in turn, yeah, um, provides the conditions for, for better mental health. Right, so like the basic sustenance sort of stuff. Yeah, but I guess like... I mean, even sometimes, like, that stuff or like often takes a backseat to productivity, right? Especially the sleep one. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a... It, it, it's a... Um, what's it called? Like, they're a dependent, interdependent relationship between... Like, yeah, if you're not so stressed, you're going to sleep better. Or sleep yeah. more. Like, sleeping more might not be possible if you're super stressed. So, it, it's kind of like a... Mm. I don't know. It, they... They're implicated, I guess, in, e- in each other. and um, Which is, like, one of the things that I used to really struggle with, say, like, with depression. When people would say, you just need to go exercise more. Because that's going to help your depression. Oh, right. And then I'd be like, yeah, I'm not exercising because yeah. I'm depressed. I mean, it's not like I don't know that. It's mm. that I can't practice that. So... I'm not saying that, I'm absolutely not saying that Elizabeth Gilbert is wrong. Absolutely not. But I guess, like, the kind of... that It's that difficulty of getting out of that cycle. Yeah, I no, think. absolutely. Um, so just to expand on her idea of, like, um, treating for your animal self or something. <laughs> so she... <laughs> she said that... Um, it's like thinking of yourself like, say, a traumatized little dog from a dog shelter. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so sorry. That's probably not the best idea for, for <laughs> to tell other adoptees. Anyway. <laughs> should have, I should have, like, vetted that. Anyway, but that's the idea that... Um, that we know how we often know how to like love and care for um like for animals so we treat them like very gently um yeah with like good food and a good like healthy environment and um consistency and lots of i don't know sleep and <laughs> so- I think you know, it's more than physical. This, it's this just actually, this attitude of like. <laughs> it's, I guess it's similar to the concept of like how um, talk to yourself, like how you would talk to your best friend or something like that, right? Except that um, I really like the idea of like checking in with yourself as if you're an animal. So it's like okay, so how it brings the body like gives it like yeah the body a real central focus as well. Mm-hmm. I still don't know this whole, like, (laughs) animal, like, analogy is clear, but anyway. But, you know, like, that's actually, like, maybe, like, a really good metaphor, because ages ago when the whole, like, self-care thing started to become more and more talked about, someone wrote an article saying a lot of things, but one of the things they said was, like, sometimes self-care is, like, going to the dentist like you hate going to the dentist mm. and you put it off yeah but you know that it's good for you and you know that you should go and like self-care isn't just as you put it before treats there are also things that might be annoying and sometimes expensive but things that you've let slip or let slide because your life has become super yes. stressful 
Um, so I think that what you just said about like creating for that puppy, like that healthy environment, like you need to go get that puppy like looked at by the vet. You need to give them the vitamins, like like all maybe that sort of yeah. thing. And it's so it's like being it's like parenting yourself, right? Because like with a child as well, you as a you, nice parent, you can't give them just like <laughs> treats all the time. But I mean sometimes. <laughs> Like, so part of that involves a little bit of self-discipline. So I think that's interesting. So I'm really, really bad at going to bed early. Uh Right? It's like, I'm I'm just, like, terrible with it. I think I I don't even know. I'm, like, naturally, I think, a night owl rather than, like, a an early bird or whatever yeah so it's like i have a bit more energy at night and then i feel like i'm just trying to cram all this stuff into like the very end of the day Mm. and so it just keeps pushing my my bedtime a little later (laughs) it's really i'm really not good at with the discipline of like going to bed early yes but i but i know that i'll feel better the next day anyway so i think there's an interesting relationship maybe between self-discipline and self-care um and and kind of parenting yourself responsibly or like looking after that yeah uh little inner dog thing (laughs) 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 in a in a puppy dog (laughs) you know that like staying up late thing this is like a tangential but like that staying up thing like to me that's a very teenage thing Mm. um and not, I'm not saying in that in a derogatory way, but like it just reminds me very much of being a teenager because as a teenager for me, the night was my time. It was like the only time that was for me because my parents were asleep and because I wasn't at school. And so it was like creating this space where I could just do whatever I wanted or read what I wanted yes, or listen yeah. to music. And it's like, I think maybe staying up late is also... Not to put a spanner in what you just said, but, like, maybe that's your self-care in the sense it's, it's like, I'm not working, like, this is me time. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. And it's hard to discipline yourself away from that, because, like, that, yeah. you need that, too. Yes. I think, and I mean, and that's also, you know, I think the appeal for some people in waking up really early, either to do stuff like, I don't know, exercise or meditate or, like, journal or or even to do some kind of, like, creative side work thing Mm. you know like say for writing or whatever um because they feel like yeah that you're not gonna get disturbed um in those like super early hours and that's yeah that's me time and so i guess maybe it would be healthier if i switched my me time to like very early in the morning but (laughs) but yeah it's and so sometimes for me like my late night stuff might be like reading or like watching something I don't know, you know when, like, something useless on <laughs> on Facebook, or, you know, like, it yeah. keeps, like, suggesting bloody videos. <laughs> um, or, like, sometimes, this is, like, I think this is, like, just me, like, indulging, like, my inner child in a treat way. Like, I will read and eat ice cream from the tub from my bed. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would take that over a bath, for sure. <laughs> like, a, also, like, a longer period than five mm. to seven minutes of niceness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
I guess I want to say one more thing about self-care. Actually, this is another Liz Gilbert idea because I kind of think... <laughs> this is a tangent, but I thought Eat, Pray, Love was actually uh, like a searingly honest book. Even though it gave me some kind of really romanticized idea of like solo travel in your 30s as like a single woman, it actually <laughs> was not my experience. <laughs> it was My experience was more like... This, this book called Less that I... Anyway, never mind. So, look. <laughs> That's a tangent. But anyway, this is another idea of Liz Gilbert's about self-care, which I find... Which I found really helpful. So, she wrote that her actual job in life is managing her mental health. Like, not, not writing and talking and doing all the other stuff that she does. Um... Which I, I felt like that was kind of comforting and a reminder that it's like, it's like a daily moment by moment job sometimes. It takes work, yeah. Yeah, like I think that self-care is like, it's a consistent effort. Yeah. Yeah. So what are, you, what are your favorite self-care things? Well, so there's a whole bunch of like, <laughs> like emotional and physical ones like yeah sure like exercise and also but different forms of exercise so I think that's why I like dance because like because it's um non-linear and just it's very free and then I also like yoga for other reasons but yoga is very structured mm -hmm. generally compared to something like dance and then I also like say like the kind of workout where you just super exhaust like completely wiped out <laughs> <laughs> um anyway and yeah other things like yeah getting therapy journaling by myself like just reflecting by myself how often can i ask how often do you journal do I, um to, to be honest like when i feel like i need it how do you know you need it because I get this, like, this, just this kind of feeling where I'm like, I have too much going on in my head. I need to get it on paper. Right, right. Or I've had some experience that I feel like I need to unpack. I'm going to get it out on paper. Right. So it would probably be better for me if I did it more regularly. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing, which I've recently come to the realization, kind of reluctantly come to this realization that... I think I'd like to return to regular meditation, which is something I used to do because actually I think these past few months living in Seoul, I think my mind is even more kind of on overdrive and in, in like this manic monkey mode. So, and I think meditation, um, it's, it's difficult and requires a lot of practice. It's like absolutely a long game, um, technique like a long game kind of tool to to use um but i think i want to get back into that especially living in a city like seoul right yeah so i guess that was i just like rambled off like a bunch of different things but i think the other thing is related to boundaries and saying no to stuff which i'm not very good at mm. but before before we get into that what are your main, like, self-care um, tools? Well, I like going to the gym. And I think for me, it became, especially when I was doing my PhD, like, exercise became a way that I could 
this is going to make me sound obsessive or something, but it was like a way for me to legitimately remove myself from the work that I should be doing. So it's like, no, no exercise is really good for me and I, I need to do it. It was something that didn't feel like an excuse. It was something that didn't feel like procrastination. Yeah. It yeah. was something that I felt like, no, it is for my well-being. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it will make me a better writer. So yeah. I need to go do this thing. And so in a weird way, I gave myself permission to make space for that in my life. Yeah. And then I think it just became a good habit. And I think also, like, I like... For a while, I was running, and now I don't do that so much. But I like weightlifting because... You just are really forced to, like, pay attention to your body. Like, you have to, unless you injure yourself, like, you have to be like, what's what's feeling tight? Like, what's sore? You know, like, how's my posture? Well, how's my form? Yeah. And it really just slows everything down mm. um, to these movements. And, yeah, it forces you to tune in. And in a way, it's also, like, a really tangible way of seeing how you're progressing. You know, like, you can't always tell that you're becoming better at what you do if what you do is more mental. Yeah, yeah. But you can see that, oh, like, this thing that was really hard last month, like, it feels easier now. Yeah. Right? And those really small ways that you can see progress through exercise, I feel like that's been super beneficial for me. Just to even be like, yeah, life keeps going even if I'm stuck on a chapter or like you know like it sounds yes. really stupid but no, no, yeah. um, that kind of reminder that I have I have a body and it serves me really really well I'm really lucky to ha- have this body and um, I need to take care of it and blah, blah 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 so I think I'm good with self-care in that sense I think like you know the dentist is like one that's been ho- hanging over me for like oh me years. too like I really oh years I think I haven't been for like two years <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so like the, <laughs> so I think with other forms of self-care the self-discipline self-care I probably should be better at there's just one more self-care thing that I wanted to mention that I'm also not good at so I'm not good at going to bed early and I'm also not good at cooking just for myself Uh, So I I really like cooking and I like cooking with other people and it's like if I just have like one other person to cook for as well like a partner or something then I'm super motivated to make something nice Um, but also partly because like my kitchen in Seoul is like really basic Um, yeah so I like I'm I don't know it's, it's really bad like beyond like ramen with some crap thrown in there like I don't like cook much for myself but actually I know it's it's good for me like one because um ramen aside I'm like more likely to eat well if I cook for myself and also I think the whole ritual of it makes makes me like slow down um rather than just like grabbing something on the go or like you know, service in, in Korea is so fast, right? So you go into a restaurant, you order, and then it's, like, it's usually really fast. Mm. So even, yeah, eating out feels, like, really rushed sometimes. Um, I think that's a, f- a form of self-care, being like, oh, it's, like, I am worth cooking for, like, just me, cooking something, like, like an actual proper meal. Yeah. You know, ramen is not quite a proper meal. <laughs> <laughs> PSA. 
Yeah, I think cooking is that's such a good example. Yeah, like I realized like it's a pretty good indication of my mental health, my、um, interest in cooking.、Mm. Like my interest in cooking goes down when I'm super stressed and anxious. Yeah, and when I'm feeling better about things, I'm more inclined to like try a new recipe. Then I know I'm doing okay, and、yeah. it's like, yeah, when I. Don't know what I feel like eating, or when I would eat whatever. That's usually when. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Actually, when I would eat whatever, that's like really bad, because <laughs> usually, <laughs> you know, usually that's like a little highlight of my day. It's like, hmm, what do I want to eat? Yeah. And, yeah. And it's like a. In that, yeah. I feel like the absolute lowest point is like when I'm just like grabbing snacks from the. The convenience store as like my lunch. Granted, Korean convenience stores pretty good in terms of prepackaged <laughs> food, but no, I get your point. Yeah, I mean, no, I really like those like little triangle kimbap things, right? But again, I think it's like a snack. It's not. A, it's not a proper meal. So when we asked people about、uh, the holidays and about、yeah. self care, thanks to the people that got back to us. But one of the themes was boundaries, which you you just mentioned. So like learning how to make them, learning how to maintain them,、mm. um, seemed to be like quite a theme for people. Are we clear on what they are? Because again, it's like this word like. Kind of like self care, where we we mostly know what it means, but <laughs> do you? <laughs> What's your understanding of boundaries? <laughs> Can I? <laughs> Look, I um, I struggle to recognize mine. I'll be honest. Like, I think maybe I will realize later that they've been overstepped. I think that a large part of me. Doesn't rock the boat.、Mm. Doesn't like tries to meet the demands of a particular situation, and that often means being very vigilant about what that other person in that situation wants from me, or being concerned for their feelings. And so I'm just like, well, I'll just get through this, and then I'll be fine. I'll deal with it on my own. But then that probably means that I don't assert、um, my boundaries because. I frankly haven't really learned to recognize them in the moment. I don't know if that if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so boundaries are. Would you say like recognizing the limits of、um, of both like what we can do and take on, like work or socially or like、um, physically, right? And also the ways that. We in which we feel we want to be treated, like what is、um, feels right and okay with us.、Right. Uh, would you, they both fall under boundaries, right? Yeah, right. Well, I was thinking mostly the latter, but you're right. The the first is also part of it. Yeah. So it's being it's about、um, knowing yourself well enough, and like I guess regularly checking in with yourself to know what、um, your limits are. Know what your limits are. Yeah. Both, both for yourself and、um, in the ways in which you interact with others. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Good definition. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that took a while. <laughs> but um, we, we kind of got to a definition, right? <laughs> okay, so um, I, I think I struggle with both. Because I think I try to do too much, like... Um, Overcommit. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not that actually... Like, so for example, like recently moving back to Korea, I feel like there are all these opportunities to do things which are very specific to living in Korea and being part of the adoptive community in Korea. So I tend to say yes, I think, to too many things with too many people and I don't allow enough time for myself. Just like I know that I need at least at least one or two evenings alone by myself to just kind of potter around my house right and like occasionally make like a home-cooked meal for myself right (laughs) these kinds of things but um but yeah it's like this sense of like oh I need to make the most of my time living in Korea so I'm just going to try and like do everything and say like yes to everything and um yeah so it's like I struggle with that boundary um also yeah I think sometimes interpersonally um I, I recognize where I think someone has like, or I feel like someone has crossed a boundary with me in um, by saying something or, or doing something I didn't feel comfortable with, but I'm not good at articulating that. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm really, really close and really, really comfortable with that person. Mm-hmm. So what I tend to do is just kind of like withdraw a bit. But then I think it leaves that person feeling confused about why I'm withdrawing and why I'm like suddenly kind of like a bit distant, a bit cold. Mm. So, so this this sounds a bit vague, maybe. But um, I mean, I think like spreading yourself too thin. Yes. Obviously, that clearly links back with burnout as not having the energy to do things. Um, I think in like as I've gotten older, I've become better at recognizing when I need to scale back on the things I've committed to. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've become better at doing that. But the interpersonal stuff, I struggle with a lot more. Um, but what if scaling back means, like, like let's say you've overcommitted yourself socially and scaling back means, like, cancelling plans with, like, someone who is a friend. Yeah. Do you find that hard? That's- yeah, I mean, I, th- I think... I think because there is much more of a public conversation around self-care, I think it has made those conversations yes. a bit easier. Because it's like, I think people now realize like, oh, it's not about me. This person just needs a time, uh, needs the night off. Or they don't take it so personally, or at least I hope they don't. So I yeah. think like the larger conversation has been beneficial for people being able to articulate that like, hey, actually tonight's no good or whatever. But... Again, I still feel like the interpersonal... I mean, that is clearly also interpersonal, but um, that's scaling back on a commitment. I feel like saying something when someone's crossed a line, that's different and that's harder. Yeah. I mean, so now I'm basically like kind of like sharing a bunch of things I've recently been talking to my therapist about, but, <laughs> but anyway, in case, look, in case it's helpful... Um, <laughs> I find that particularly when I feel that um, that my feelings might come across as unreasonable or ungrateful, I just silence myself. 
I'm st- I'm just really not very good at communicating those kinds of things. Mm. So it's kind of like, yeah, as soon as I feel like, oh, that's not really logical or reasonable or like, oh, that's going to come across as like in a certain way or it's like I'm already... Censoring it. Censoring it, yeah. But it's just really not good for relationships. It kind of, um, it creates these kinds of like, I don't know, like stuck situations where I just won't communicate certain things I'm just kind of like back away and be a little distant and the other person will maybe be wondering what's going on and mm. yeah <sighs> so <laughs> which you know we don't need to get into this whole conversation but which is very like the whole ungratefulness thing yeah yeah related. exactly yeah, yeah. Speaking of boundaries, I'm just wondering, like, so there was this, like, whole Twitter thread, um, last year, and actually, I think, I think I first saw it, I think maybe an adoptee shared it on Facebook. The Twitter person was someone called Erin Brooke. She shared this story about her mom teaching her that she's allowed to leave an uncomfortable situation and it was like um she was like seven years old and it was her first sleepover at someone else's house before she left her mom told her that if she was uncomfortable during the night for any reason i think that's the critical part for any reason and even if it was in the middle of the night that she could call her and her mom would like come and pick her up right yeah, and then her mum was very clear about how how to do that, and she was like, "Oh, even if the, if the if your friends' parents have gone to bed, like just knock on their bedroom door and ask to use the phone, and you know, so no matter what time, no matter what the issue is, whatever you perceive it to be, right, you won't be in trouble. I'll come and get you." And then something did happen. She can't even remember that she, but she felt like kind of like upset or uncomfortable or something. And um, she ends up waking up her friend's mom in the middle of the night and asking to use the phone. And apparently the friend's mom was kind of like, oh, it's like, it's late, you know, it will be fine. You know, you can, why don't you just sleep on the couch? And she insisted, this like seven-year-old girl insisted based on what her mom had told her. And then her mom came and picked her up. And then the girl's mom, sorry, this is a very long story because I'm basically trying to like (laughs) recount it in detail um, because it really did blow my mind. Um, And so (laughs) the, the girl's mom was like kind of apologetic, like, oh, I'm sorry you came out so late and like, and then Erin Brooks' mom was like, no, don't apologize for my daughter. Because I wanted to know that she's allowed to leave a situation where she's uncomfortable at any time and I'll be there for her. Yeah. I think, like, the fact that I was so, um, like, this made such an impact on me, like, showed me that, one, I wasn't necessarily taught similar things about boundaries when I was little. And that I still have like a lot of learning to do. Learning to do about your own boundaries. Yeah, and about how to like really, even if it's like really feels really uncomfortable, to to kind of um, protect like what you to stand up for your own experience in, in that situation 
no matter how much you're also kind of judging your own experience at the same time, like, oh, I'm probably overreacting or like, oh, I'm probably being oversensitive or like, they didn't mean it in that way. Oh, I'm going to come across as like ungrateful because they're already doing this for me or what, whatever it is. They're causing a fuss. Yeah. 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 Just giving yourself absolute permission to be like, no, this is my experience. This is what I feel I need. And here is someone that's going to support me. Yeah, and just, you know, following through with that, so... Yeah. I completely missed that story, but I can understand why adoptees lost their shit at it. Um, (laughs) But I... Yeah, it's it's a really beautiful story about teaching, especially... It was a girl? Yeah. Teaching especially young girls to trust their feelings and uh, that they're they're legitimate and real and... um, but then also, yeah, lovely that there is someone that will, without question, support you through also being like, yep, yeah, like, yeah. you felt it, it's real, Yes. here I am. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and just leaving even if you feel, like, inconvenient or, like, yeah. 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 Yeah, maybe, <laughs> actually, maybe there really is, like, like, a connection there with, like, boundaries and, like, um, our childhood ad- adoptee experience of of fitting in and kind of being grateful and being um mm. yeah i mean like you hear about adoptees like talking about sometimes having issues with like people pleasing and yeah. um i mean i think for me especially young when i was younger it was about i mean yeah it is people pleasing in the sense that I'd be so attuned to the other person that I wouldn't know or even think mm. about what I was feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I guess in the story you just gave, I would have been the person that would be, wouldn't even recognize that they were uncomfortable because they were so concerned with being the good kid or being yeah. a grateful kid yeah. or whatever. Um, and I don't even know if I would have identified what I was actually feeling, which, yeah, it's probably, again, part of the adoption experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, especially, I think sometimes with, with particular parents, sometimes who are, like, not, not necessarily, like, consistent, you know, or just a bit unpredictable for whatever reason, I feel like that even, like, further makes us kind of hyper vigilant as children to um to like what's going on with our parents and our environments and Mm. I feel like maybe nowadays that like like finally at like my ripe age of 35 I can like (laughs) recognize my own experience but I um yeah but then that step of like standing up for it yeah (laughs) yeah So, I've been recently watching (laughs) this Korean TV show, which actually, like, fits in perfectly with the end of the discussion we just had. Oh, cool. um, It's called Tunnel. Have you seen it? Uh, No, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's a Korean show. Um, I think it's a few years old now. And it's basically about this cop that's um, chasing a killer, and he chases him through a tunnel, yeah. And he 
gets hit on the head, and then he, he wakes up, he walks to the end of the tunnel, and it's 30 years later. Ooh. Right? So, complete spoiler alert, if, if that's okay. Um, <laughs> when he gets hit on the head, yeah. <laughs> he has a wife, and yeah. his wife has a child, but he never knew about that child. Uh-huh. So he gets hit on the head while she's pregnant. She never got the chance to tell him that he has a daughter. All right. So it's 30 years later in Seoul. Mm. He finds out that he had a kid. Mm. And then there's all these other characters as Korean dramas go. And one of them is this like criminal psychologist who's just like painted as this emotionally stunted but quite brilliant woman. Basically, we find out that she's his daughter. And she was adopted. Oh, because basically her father, like, kind of disappeared. Her father disappears, and then her mom dies in a car crash or something. She gets adopted to the UK. She comes back to Korea on a teaching gig, and she's a criminal psychologist. Right. So he comes, basically, this is so convoluted, but basically, there's a strong adoptee character throughout this whole show. Yeah, oh, okay. And, um... It's really interesting how she gets at the start. You think she's, like, almost pathological because they make this big deal about how she's, like, very strange and creepy. Uh-huh. Right? Because she seems to be emotionless. Oh, um, she's numb. She's from numb. From her traumatic adoption history. <laughs> exactly. Um, then there's, like, this other cop who, like, quite likes her. And there's this one scene which I think was really... This is like, you're basically telling us the whole series, right? This is like... <laughs> sorry. This, this, is not like one, this is not like one spoiler alert. This is like whole series <laughs> spoiler. Yeah, you guys basically can't watch it now. There's this one point where the other detective says to her, you need to tell people when you're in pain. And it was like quite this like Ooh. poignant moment where I was like, this show actually like, as much as it's casting adoptees in a very like... I think problematic light in mm. a lot of the uh, cases. Yeah. Like there's these weird moments where I'm like, that's such a good thing to put in the script because actually like it's true. Like she doesn't know how to vocalize when she needs things mm. or when she's hurt. And I thought it was a quite an insightful thing that they added. Anyways. Yeah. So uh, that was insightful. However, the general portrayal of like this kind of messed up, emotionally stunted adoptee was problematic at the yeah at the start, at the start. that's yeah. how they build her um toward the end she becomes much more emotional oh. um, and then they do this like classic adoptee thing where he's leaving going back through the tunnel to get back to his wife and she just like cries out like dad oh as he's walking away you know like there's all these like yeah. but it was interesting cuz i just had no idea that there would be this adoptee character yeah Um, yeah and it's interesting the way they treated her and anyways and i think links back to that whole discussion we were having yeah being able to recognize your feelings and is there any point for people to watch it (laughs) (laughs) is it still worth watching for people like like me (laughs) i'm so sorry guys (laughs) my other question is Did her mother actually die in a car crash, or did Easton just say that she died in her file? <laughs> How did you guess the other spoiler? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like... <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can follow us 
on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast or Twitter at Adopted Feels. You can also support us by rating or reviewing us on iTunes. Or you can become a patron, <laughs> um, which covers like the cost of our like podcast production and like server fees. Um, yeah, so you can go to patreon.com slash adopted feels. Yes. And thanks so much to our two newest patrons. Oh, yeah. Uh, one is Anonymous and the second is Carolyn. Yes. Thank you so much for your support. Easton's probably never going to give me a language scholarship or anything like that because I keep talking shit about them. Anyway. (laughs) So basically you all have to go and watch it for the part where Eastern comes in. (laughs) Um, I'm being sarcastic. Well, about the uh, the series. (laughs) Not about the uh, fraudulent files. (laughs) Sorry, this this has gone in a weird direction. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to cut so much of the part where I rambled about the plot of that fucking show. <laughs> no, but I think it's interesting as always. Like these random like that's the, that, that's um an example of a drama with a significant adoptee character. Yeah, mm. it's not just like a a little side plot, you know. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. Have you watched anything with a adoption thread or a cameo from Eastern? Yeah, well, you know, not a strong <laughs> adoption thread per se, but I think it's interesting how, like, in Disney films or, like, or, like, Star Wars, um, which is now, like, owned by Disney. Mm. Yeah. Um, how they're always, like... I feel like things that really resonate for us as adoptees, like characters, heroes and heroines who are um, discovering like the truth about their their identity or their um, parentage or uh, their lineage. And so like, <laughs> so I feel like recently I saw both Frozen 2 and the, the new Star Wars. And um, I feel like, I, I just feel like there are always those like um, common themes of like stepping into like who you truly are and like yeah and I think there are like big moments in some of the um, songs in Frozen 2 uh-huh. so it's really I had never seen Frozen I really did not give a shit about Frozen until like a few weeks ago where I saw the first one for the first time what sparked it? Frozen is really big in Korea so that's one thing okay. yeah. and some of the songs would always come up in, in Norebang, karaoke, <laughs> okay, yeah. right? And oh, yeah, because that Let It Go song became such a huge... Yeah, hit. yeah. yeah. I, I cannot sing that for the it's, life of me, but, really like, hard, I huh? attempt it <laughs> in Norebang. Anyway, um, yeah. And then it was, like, I had no idea, really, about the background of that song. And anyway, look, yeah, so... <laughs> Did you do some research? Friends were like, hey, you should watch it. And it's good. Um, Yeah, I think it's funny. I think, Mm. actually, I thought Frozen 2 was, like, even funnier. Mm. Um, But, yeah, anyway, there are these, like, big epic numbers Mm. where um, 
Yeah, I won't give it away. But anyway, there's this <laughs> one big number with like um, main character in Frozen Two, and and spoiler alert, her mother who um, had passed away, and she like is she keeps hearing this voice in her head that she's drawn to, and it ends up being her mother's voice. And then she like sings out like, "Oh, I am found," and it's yeah. So it's I feel like it was very like adoptee resonant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's wrap up there. Wow, this this episode really um ran the whole gamut of like <laughs> topics and like. <laughs> Honestly, I thought it would be like a five minute episode, and I was like, "How am I gonna fill this time?" But then I just like jabbered on about a TV show for twenty yeah. minutes. Please, so, <laughs> please edit me well, Ryan. <laughs> please edit that whole thing about like Frozen. <laughs> people, other people probably really don't care about Frozen. Um. Just you wait till I edit it, and it'll just be you. I'll just cut myself out of everything. <laughs>